This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about the unhappy subject of Afghanistan. Trump, you may recall, canceled peace talks with the Taliban a couple of weeks ago. He had invited the Taliban to Camp David on the anniversary of 9-11 after promising in the 2016 campaign to end America's war there. Now he says those peace talks are, quote, dead And now the war is continuing, and elections for a new president were held on Saturday. We're told there were at least 68 attacks on election targets, and that at least 40 people were killed defending the polls. We won't know the results of the vote count for weeks, and a runoff seems likely. Meanwhile, the United States continues to spend billions of dollars there, mostly for the government security forces. But sooner or later, the United States will pull its troops out of Afghanistan. If Trump doesn't do it, his successor will. What will happen in Afghanistan then? We spoke with Andrew Basevich about it shortly after Trump canceled the peace talks. Basevich is a retired colonel and Vietnam War veteran, also professor emeritus of international relations and history at Boston University. And now he's president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. He's a regular contributor to The Nation and the L.A. Times, the author of many books. His new one, The Age of Illusions, How America Squandered Its Cold War Victory, will be published in January. Andrew Basevich, welcome back. Oh, thanks very much for having me on. Well, you think the way we ended our war in Southeast Asia suggests how we will end our war in Afghanistan What do you remember about the end of the Vietnam War? Sometime around uh, the latter part of 1968, after the Tet Offensive, I think it became obvious to all, obvious to the military, I was then a serving officer, obvious to the political establishment, obvious to the country at large, that uh, it was unwinnable, that we were never going to persuade uh, North Vietnam to give up its efforts to unify the country. And therefore, after the election of Richard Nixon uh, as president, he took office in 1969, he set out to extricate us from this unwinnable war, promising to deliver peace with honor. That was a lie. What he really intended to do was to try to get us out without having to admit failure. 
Uh, and depending on how you look at it, I guess the peace agreement of 1973, January 1973, enabled us to do that. We left, we forgot Vietnam, and we left the fate of Vietnam to be decided by the, the Vietnamese. The Afghan National Army, I read, loses nearly 3% of its force every month to casualties, uh, desertions, failure to re-enlist. 3% a month, that's, I guess, 36% over 12 months. That means they have to replace over a third of their army every year. How sustainable is that? How likely is that? It's not. And again, I don't want to overdo the Vietnam comparisons because you, you know, that's... That's, it can't be overdone. But, but having just said that, this was part of our problem with Arvin. It wasn't that we didn't, we, pro, we provided Arvin with lots of weapons, lots of ammunition, fighter planes, uh, helicopters. There were any number of American advisors were trying to uh, train Arvin, uh, you know, impart the skills needed to be good soldiers. But in these kind of wars, you can impart skills, but you can't necessarily impart the will to fight. My sense is that in Afghanistan, the, the principal problem of the Afghan security forces is that they get recruited and they go through basic training and then they somehow disappear. You know, these people, they may not be willing, they're not as willing to die for their country as we would want them to be. Uh, and, and, and perhaps with good reason. Uh, there's, not, there's no particular reason that I can see uh, that one would have confidence in the Afghan government that, of course, we installed uh, back at the end of 2001 that, that may, they may, soldiers may not necessarily see as their government. That describes the fix. And again, you know, we're doing this for 18 years. How many more years should we try? Uh, I, I think uh, I, I, am, I am the last person uh, to say that he's a supporter of Donald Trump. I'm not. But I think the president is right that in this case, you have to recognize reality, and at some point you cut your losses. I'm not sure how many more American lives uh, this war is worth, and I say that recognizing that when we leave and when it, then it is left to the Afghan people to decide their, their future, it may not turn out to be a pretty uh, consequence. So what's the scenario here for, for, for the Americans? Assuming Trump changes his mind about negotiating with the Taliban, he often does change his mind. So assuming he restarts these negotiations in, in Qatar, and if this follows something like the Vietnam model, as you've suggested, it probably will, how will the American war in Afghanistan end? Will Trump be talking about, in private, a decent interval? Will his successor actually claim mission accomplished? If this deal, which you know, the Trump has now declared is dead, I think. Yes. I suspect it's not dead. Remember, he has a strong incentive to wrap this war up. He has not had any significant foreign policy successes that I can see. He's running for re-election. It would be very much to his benefit if he could say, hey, look, I promised to end the war in Afghanistan. I did. Mission accomplished. Uh, Vote for me. And so I'm guessing that he's going to want to revive this process. And my further guess, and it's only a guess, would be that the, the ultimate peace deal will closely resemble the one that fell apart just a week or so ago, that uh, we'll have a phased pullout. Basically, the Afghan government will be handed a, a take-it-or-leave-it note 
and the Taliban will bide its time until the Americans are gone, and then actions will occur to determine what's going to be the future of Afghanistan. Well, one of the biggest issues in Afghanistan for many Americans is really a big difference with Vietnam in 1973 to 75, and that's what will happen to women and women's education if the Taliban return to power. Last time the Taliban ruled Afghanistan, girls were not allowed to go to school, women were not allowed to work outside the home. The deal the Trump people seem to have been making with the Taliban did not include anything about women's rights. They said... They were going to leave that to negotiations between the Afghan government and the Taliban. Right. What do you think will happen to girls' education in Afghanistan after the United States pulls out? You know, honestly, I wouldn't even speculate. Uh, and, and I'm not, I don't mean to be punting here, but you, uh, your, uh, your description of the fate of Afghan women and, and girls when the Taliban was last in power is certainly accurate. Okay, we've now... 20 years later, uh, and it is at least possible to speculate, and I'm only speculating, right. uh, that the Taliban leaders have learned something over the course of this 20 years in exile, and therefore they may take a somewhat different approach if they, if they return to power. I don't mean to imply that somehow they will be you know, enthusiastic supporters of gender equality, <laughs> but... I don't think we need necessarily to take the worst-case assumption, but the worst case could occur. And that, too, then will be a stain, really, on the United States. We promised to deliver certain things. We failed to deliver those things. And all I would say is that, well, how much longer should we stay? And, And to anyone who says, well, we have an obligation to those women and those girls, and I think that's an argument you can make, well, are you willing to send your 19-year-old son uh, to persist in this war uh, that we have uh, waged for so long, so unsuccessfully, send your kid with an expectation that somehow if we hang in there another five years that we're going to get a different result? My judgment would be that we're not going to get a different result, that we can stay there until the cows come home, and we are not going to be able to impose our will on Afghanistan. We, we tried that. We have failed. We probably shouldn't have tried it in the first place. It was arrogant on our part to think that uh, we had the capacity uh, to remake uh, Afghanistan and somehow to impart uh, our value system. Well, we tried. We failed. And it seems to me that we, we have to confront that failure. Uh, one more thing. After the fall of Saigon, uh, more than a million South Vietnamese fled communist rule, especially those who had worked for the Americans, who would then be targeted. Uh, 1.3 million Vietnamese were eventually admitted to the United States and settled as refugees after the American war formally concluded. Uh, Let's just look at one scenario. The Kabul government falls at some point, two or four or six years from now. Do you think the United States will welcome 1.3 million Afghan refugees? You're, you're pulling my leg, right? <laughs> no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. Obviously, the Trump administration could care less about Afghan refugees, but I'm not sure that, that a, a successor to Trump, given the, the mood of our country, which is not particularly sympathetic to people who aren't like us, 
I would be surprised if there was. I, I, would, I, would, ur- I would hope that there would be. But I would be surprised if, in fact, we welcomed a flood of Afghan refugees to our country, if indeed things go south and the Taliban end up uh, prevailing there. One, one last thing. I have a question about the Quincy Institute, the new think tank that you head. It's funded by an extremely unlikely pair of billionaires, George Soros and Charles Koch. In everything else, they are fundamentally opposed, but they yeah. both support your work. How did you do this? Well, I, I, you know, it's not that I did it personally, but let, let me say a couple things. First of all, it is true that Koch, a right-winger, Soros, a progressive, both support uh, the, the Quincy Institute. So do other people. So it's not, a, it's not as if that those are the only two funders of our, of our organization. But you put your finger on it. They disagree with one another on a, on a host of issues, but they both believe that our militarized approach to foreign policy has had terribly negative consequences for, the, for our country. So they support a more restrained approach to foreign policy, less use of the military, more emphasis on engagement through diplomacy, not isolationism, that's not what the Quincy Institute stands for, but engagement that will promote peace as our, as our goal. That's a, that's a goal that almost nobody ever talks about anymore. Uh, we think that it's, it's the proper goal of policy, and so we're hoping to bring about greater recognition in, po- in, in political circles uh, that, uh, that, 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 that militarization hasn't worked, and we need to find an alternative. Andrew Basevich, he's president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. His article, Trump's Afghanistan Peace Will Be Vietnam All Over Again, is from Tom Dispatch. It appears at the L.A. Times and The Nation. Thank you, Mr. Basevich. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.